Our scripture passage this morning is Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us the child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me. In flesh his entrance humble, the swaddling clothes his robe. The meek displayed in power, the prince of peace now known. Your glory and your wisdom know no bounds. And so we praise you for entering in. Not leaving us to ourselves as we deserved, but becoming one of us and taking our place. But I pray as we think a lot about various things related to Christmas that this would be front and center the incarnation and your faithfulness to your promises. Father, I pray for those for whom the holiday season is more of mourning than celebrating, that you would grant them perspective, that they would look to you, that they would look outside of themselves, they would look outside of their present circumstances and would find hope. And I pray especially this morning in light of our passage that that hope would be strengthened. Fathers, we have time with various people at parties and get-togethers. Would you give us gospel opportunities that we might share what makes us excited about this season? Would you give us softballs that we might share the good news of Jesus? And would you give us favor? And would you save people through our weak witness? Would you show the fact that the power belongs to you and not to us? Jars of clay. Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word lasts forever. We pray this through Jesus Christ, your son, our king, whoever reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, here we go. Christmas is upon us. It seems like every year it sneaks up. It's a little weird this year that Christmas is still almost a week away on a Saturday. How many of you are still shopping? About half. <laughs> Online shopping's been a game changer for us. We've, done, we've been done for about a month. And of course, when I say we, I mean Alicia has been done 
for about a month. Let me just say thank you to all the ladies in the room because without you, boy, would Christmas be a dud. <laughs> At least in my house. And we think about Advent, we normally think about the first coming of Jesus, rightly so. This is the emphasis, but also the second coming. Because we, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, like first century Jerusalem, are a people in waiting. But really, we're very different from them as well. They were waiting for deliverance, and we're waiting in light of deliverance. The kingdom has come. We've been seeing that as we've been walking through the gospel of Matthew together as a church, but it's not yet consummated. We live in this already, but not yet time period, this time between the times, this time between the first coming and the second coming. And I've shared with you before, many have compared our situation to that of D-Day and V-Day. The war historians, you remember D-Day was June 6, 1944, when the Allies had finally invaded Normandy. It was the decisive battle of the war. Beachhead was established. Everyone knew the Allies would be the victors. June 6, 1944, but the final overthrow of the Nazi regime wouldn't occur until May of 1945. After D-Day... There was never any question to how the war would end. V-Day was guaranteed, but there would still be a ton of fighting and suffering and death and agony. In fact, more people would die after D-Day than before. But the outcome was never in doubt for us. The resurrection is D-Day. The victory is secure, but here we are waiting. We're waiting V-Day. We'll see some of this in our passage this morning. Turn to the prophecy of Isaiah. Chapter 9, if you're using one of our Bibles there in front of you, it's page 536, Isaiah chapter 9. And this prophecy was given around 730 B.C. Kids, you know what that means? That means this prophecy we're going to read this morning was given about Jesus 700 years before Jesus had been born. That's pretty cool. 730 B.C., let's look, consider the news of the coming Christ child in verses 1 to 5, and then let's consider the nature of this coming Christ child in verses 6 to 7. The main point is that because of Christmas, we should worship with joyful hopefulness because God has entered the world as a baby, born to rule forever and ever. So let's consider first the news of this coming Christ child, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. If you look back up the very next verse, 22, that was the situation, darkness, the gloom of anguish because of disobedience. But in verse 1, we see that there will in a future time be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. The context here is one where the people of God and the, the king of Israel, they were refusing to trust God. And again, God could have let them go. As is so often in the story of the Bible and in our story, he could have rightly let them go. 
They refused to trust him. He had shown his goodness again and again and again. And here they are rebelling against him. And how does he respond? He gives them a second chance. Aren't you thankful for second chances? And 20 second chances. And 70 second chances. (laughs) Am I the only one in here that needs that many chances? Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Richard Sibbs, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And so this rebellious and disobedient people, they're dwelling in darkness, but light is coming. That's what we see here. And they didn't produce the light. They're stumbling around, groping in the darkness, and suddenly found themselves in the light because God invades. And ultimately, God himself is the light. Second Samuel chapter 22, you are my lamp. O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John chapter 1, one of my favorite Christmas passages. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. It's a prophecy of the future. There'll be no gloom for his people. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the grounds. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He mentions Zebulun and Naphtali. They were the northern parts of Israel. They were the first part of the promised land to fall to Assyria. And invading armies from the north would often go through this area. It was a place that knew despair. They knew war. They knew slavery. They knew ethnic division. But notice it says that God has made this place glorious. God has made Galilee glorious. And we've got to remember Galilee was the sticks. Just backwoods. It's not the place you would think anything good would come from. In fact, do you remember Jesus has asked that? He's from Nazareth. Does anything good come from Nazareth? Well, Nazareth was in Galilee. And of course, we've seen as we've walked through Matthew, much of Jesus' ministry has been in Galilee. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and following, Matthew actually quotes this very passage, Galilee of the nations, and says it was to fulfill this scripture. So this people who's walked in darkness, they've seen a great life. Remember, this is talking about the latter times. This is talking about the future from Isaiah's perspective, but notice it's all past tense. It's not they will see a great light. They have seen a great light. It's written in the past tense because it's so sure. This prophecy describes events as if they've already taken place because in the mind of God, they already have. Because what God purposes to do will get done. Flip over with me, keep your finger in Isaiah 9, but flip over to Isaiah chapter 46. Why can a future promise of God be stated in the past tense? Well, it's because of who he is. Who is he? Isaiah chapter 46, verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. 
It's as good as done in the mind of God. So anything God promises already passed tense for us. He will not fail. That's why in Romans 8, it's speaking of God's glorious plan of salvation. And he starts in eternity past and he goes to eternity future. Those whom he predestined, he also foreknew. And those whom he foreknew, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified past tense. Glorification is future for all of us. But in the mind of God, it's already such a done deal. He can speak of it as if it's already happened. If God says it, we can take it to the bank. It's as good as done. It's a guarantee. He promised that light would shine. And in Jesus, light has shown. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, our hope is secure. It's going to be all right. It's secure because of what God has already done. His past faithfulness is the fuel and the foundation for our hope and his future promises. It's as good as done. Which, by the way, when we worry, we're saying none of that's true. Look at Isaiah 9 verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The Lord promises to multiply Israel, just like he said he would do. Remember Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant, he promised him, you'll be a great nation and through you all the families of the world will be blessed. That's how God's going to make the descendants of Abraham as many as the stars of the sky, as many as the sand of the sea. God's going to accomplish this by including the nations, by including the Gentiles. Notice, this light will shine on Galilee of the nations, verse 1, of the Gentiles. And friends, that's us, the vast majority. We would not be here as Gentiles if God had not promised to bless the world through Abraham. And here it is. This child is going to come and he's going to make glorious Galilee of the Gentiles. God promised a worldwide family. By faith, you're a part of it. And therefore, what should our response be? It says they will rejoice. As with joy at the harvest and as they are glad on the day of spoil. This is gladness. This is joy. This is the joy of abundance. Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Look at Isaiah 9 verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumults and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Their bond has been broken. We sing, truly, he's taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all that is within us praise his holy name. There's a day coming where there will be no more oppression. Chains shall he break. No more war. He's already given us this vision in Isaiah. Flip back a few pages to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. Isaiah 
This coming liberating king, he shall judge between, Isaiah 2, 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more anymore. There's a day coming when the weapons of war will be burned, Isaiah 9, the weapons of war will be turned into tools to cultivate the earth, Isaiah 2. God's broken them. He says, notice what he says there. He says he's broken them as on the day of Midian. What does that mean? Remember Midian? Midianites were those who were oppressing Israel in Judges chapter 6 to 8, and God raised up Gideon. Remember Gideon? He was fearful. God said, you can do this. Gave him a sign. So Gideon rises up. He's going to go to war. He has 32,000 men. And the Lord says, well, that's, that's too many. You're going to win this victory and you're going to be tempted to take credit for yourself. Let's reduce it from 32,000 men down to 10,000. Still too many. Don't want to go into your head. You might think you did something. This is my victory. And so he reduces it down to 300. The point now is the point then. Victory is God's and God's alone. He's got to do it. And he will. Our future is secure. This is going to happen. This is the news of the coming Christ child. Secondly, look at the nature of this coming Christ child there in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. You know, we all know this. This is all very familiar to anyone who's grown up in America. So we're not taken back by this, but we should be taken back by this. God's going to do all this. God's going to redeem his people and ultimately the world through a baby. See, a child in the hands of God is more powerful than even the most powerful nation of this world. This is what we focus on at Christmas. The Christ child born in a stable, lowly, the eternal son of God enters this world and he's surrounded by farm animals and therefore farm animal poop. You know what your little uh, nativity scene would be a little bit more realistic? Kids, you can do this. Kids, go out to your backyard, <laughs> get a little crusty old dog poop, bring it in, put it on the nativity scene. If the parents object, just, hey, this is biblical, man. <laughs> just kidding. Don't do that. But this is lowliness. This is unexpected. This is actually absurd if it weren't true. But it's not just any baby, right? Flip back one chapter, one page or so, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Born of a virgin, this is what Christmas is about. This has been affirmed by every Christian from the earliest Christian creed, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. As Charles Spurgeon said, he was an infant, but he was infinite. And his name will be Emmanuel. Let me read from Matthew chapter 1, verse 13. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, 
Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas is about the promise-making God keeping his promises. It's about the incarnation, God taking on human flesh. As a child, he's truly God and he's truly man. You know the song, Away in a Manger, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That's a lie. He cried just like every other baby. He was truly human. God become man, incarnate deity. This ideal ruler that Isaiah is giving us hope with will be human and divine. Therefore, he's worthy of our worship. And I don't just mean once a year on Sunday mornings. I don't just mean one hour a week. I mean all of life. We worship Jesus in all of life. He's worthy of our all. He is God with us. I love Christmas hymns. And I encourage you as we even finish out this service and as we sing together on Friday to pay attention to the lyrics. There's some of our richest lyrics that we sing all year long. Listen to Charles Wesley, 18th century. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ, by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And my favorite line, mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. The nature of this Christ child, he's the God-man. And notice the names that he's given there in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The second half, wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Now, these are unique names. You're not going to find these in your latest baby book. At least I hope not. You never know nowadays. Hey, let me introduce you to my son. His name is Mighty God White. <laughs> you never know. Never know nowadays. But these aren't popular among baby names. Kind of like there's a lot of really unfortunate name combinations. Anita Man. Hey, I'm Anita Man. It's good to meet you. Eileen Wright. <laughs> Sam Sung. Mo, Lester, Chris P. Bacon. Introduce my friend Chris P. Bacon. That's a terrible name. It's a good pet pig name, though. Lois Price, 
One of my best buds growing up, still growing up, his name's Dustin Butts. He had D Butts on his license plate. He could have really ruined one of, ruined one of his son's life if he would have named him Harry. <laughs> These are utterly unique names, though. They're utterly unique, but they're also utterly absurd if they merely refer to a baby, right? Wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the one who counsels, and he counsels from one who has all authority, a position of authority. There's none that's ever given him counsel. He has a depth of wisdom. He is wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. He is our counselor. He gives us all we need. He cares for us, and he knows our need, and he came for those with need. He came for people with problems. He came for the weak and the needy. He didn't come for the healthy and the sick. We've seen that every chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. Every miracle he does, he's addressing a problem. He goes after people with problems and he cares for us and he counsels us as a good counselor, as a wonderful counselor. Y'all ever seen that clip with Bob Newhart? Bob Newhart, it's worth YouTubing. I should have brought it up. It's probably inappropriate. Maybe not. But a lady comes in and says she's got a problem. She's got this just terrible fear of being buried alive in a box. And she, he says, well, come in. I charge by the hour. It won't take long. Tell me about your problem. Well, I just have this fear. I just have this fear of being buried in a box. And he says, well, has everyone, anyone ever tried to do that? Well, no, I just think about it and it starts a panic. I can't do anything that's constricted. I can't do tunnels. I can't do elevators. I can't even do a house. And Bob Newhart says, I'm going to give you two words. I want you to pay attention. She's like, can I, should, I, should I write them down? No, no, it's just two words. We'll be out of here in just a moment. I'll give you two words. I want you to listen to them right now. I want you to listen carefully and take them out of here and incorporate them in your life. Are you ready? I'm ready. Stop it. <laughs> what, what do you mean? Stop it. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, stop it. You don't want to go around being scared of being buried in a box alive, do you? That's frightening. Stop it. <laughs> Utterly unhelpful counsel. Just stop it. Well, thankfully, our wonderful counselor sympathizes with us, enters in with us. It's the story of Christmas. He's our great high priest. What did priests do? Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him in time of need. He knows our weakness and he doesn't scoff at us. He enters in, he's able to sympathize so we can go to him, not shamefully, not reluctantly. We can go to him with confidence he knows. He cares. He's a wonderful counselor. He's, what's the second name there? He's mighty God. We've already seen this. He's truly man and truly God. This can be said of no other person in the history of the world. Jesus is God in the flesh, God incarnate, the word made flesh. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He's everlasting father. Now this is interesting because it's speaking about the son but we ought not to get too hung up on it. He's not talking about his position within the Trinity, but how this king's going to relate to us as a good father to children. He's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. This title prince, it suggests an army commander. It's really what the Lord of hosts means. Lord of armies, Yahweh of armies. And the leadership of this prince leads to peace. First and foremost, peace 
with God, God and sinners reconciled. The Bible says that outside of Jesus Christ, we're hostile to God. We're enemies of God. Romans 8 says the mind that is set on the flesh, that's any non-Christian that was us before we trusted Jesus. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. We were enemies. And friend, maybe you're here this morning. You don't know Jesus. You need to hear that that's you. You may not think that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God says. And God says that if you haven't trusted Christ, you are an enemy of his. But you don't have to remain that way. It's the good news of Christmas. God offers terms of peace because of the cross. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He brings peace. He brings reconciliation where we were once at enmity. We can have peace, peace with God, peace within ourselves, peace with others. Peace here is so much more than what we think of when we think of peace. We think of peace and we just think of maybe peace of mind, inner tranquility, lack of conflict. But in the Bible, the word is so much more robust than that. You've heard it. It's the word shalom. Shalom is a vision of the way things are supposed to be, the way things will be, the world without sin, without death. When God brings about shalom, he brings about universal flourishing, wholeness, fulfillment, delight, joy, healing, completeness, soundness, justice, righteousness, thankfulness, the full enjoyment of everything in every relationship. That's where this world's headed. And not just at the individual level, but the cosmic level. A flourishing community in a flourishing world. An Old Testament scholar who's done a lot of work on this concept of shalom. I want to quote him. It's a lengthy quotation, but I think it's worth quoting. This is what we are about at Christmas. Already, but not yet. Christmas, the first coming, is a guarantee that this vision is coming. He speaks of the Old Testament prophets, and they dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out. Rough places made plain. The foolish would be made wise, the wise humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower, the mountains would run with wine, weeping would cease, and people could go to sleep without weapons on their laps. People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, and delight in God. Shouts of joy and recognition would well up from valleys and seas, from women in streets and from men on ships, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation and justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. He is the prince whose rule will lead to shalom. The way God intends for it to be, the way the world is supposed to be, God's creational and now new creational intention. Flip over a page to Isaiah chapter 11. There are popular Christmas passages that speaks of this. Isaiah 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see and decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. The prince of peace, the prince who's going to bring this peace, shalom. And what is the purpose of this Christ child? Look at verse 7. Chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no ends. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What's the purpose of the birth of this child? He was born to rule. That's what he says to Pilate, John chapter 18. Pilate says to him, I, a Jew, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom's not from the world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Isaiah says the government shall be on his shoulders. And of this increase, there will be no end. Jesus Christ has come. He was born and now he's been installed as king at the right hand of God. Friends, things are bleak in American culture today. There's reason to be pessimistic about American culture. Maybe you saw this. Alicia went to Dollar Tree the other day, uh, this week, in fact, to go get uh, some Christmas bags. And maybe you heard the Dollar Tree is no longer a dollar. It's a dollar twenty-five now, so it's dollar plus tree, dollar-ish tree, Dollar Tree. Psych. Joe Biden, Dollar Tree. <laughs> There are legitimate reasons to be pessimistic about American culture. But you know what, friends? America is not the kingdom of Christ. And it may very well be that America is a blip on the radar in the grand scheme of things. We should be optimistic about the victory of Jesus. We tend to get sour, but look at what God has done. Zoom out a little bit outside of 2021. 2,000 years ago, there were 12 of us. Now we cover the earth. 
Christianity is the largest religion in the world. This little baby boy surrounded by animal feces now has 2.3 billion people who claim that he is Lord. Zero Christians to now 30% of the world. You know, people mock God in America today, removing God from any place that he ever was. But, you know, in Latin America, 3,000 people a day become Christians. The church is multiplying like crazy in China, looking to be 300 million strong by the year 2030. I'm not worried about the supposed decline of the church in the West, and it is declining, but what God's doing is purifying and purging. We will be smaller, but we will be stronger. And you know how I think our great, great, great grandkids are going to hear the gospel? From missionaries sent over here from Nigeria and Brazil and Korea. I want to show you an animated video a little bit about what God's been up to in 2,000 years and how the government of this sun has increased. hopeful and I hope you'll be hopeful and I got work to do and I hope you'll join in the increase of his government God has promised and he'll make good on his promise he's promised and it's in the past tense because it's as good as done Psalm chapter 2 verse 8 God says to the son I will make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth your possession Jesus Christ is Lord of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. This Christ child was born to rule and his rule is increasing. Perhaps it's only just begun. We're only 2,000 years in. What if he tarries for 2,000 more? What if he tarries for 10,000 more? The empire of grace will forever expand. The kingdom is already, but not yet. It doesn't just come down like the 82nd airborne, but like a baby in a manger. Jesus says in Matthew 13 that the kingdom's like a the smallest of all seeds, a grain of mustard seed. It starts really small, but over time it grows and becomes the largest plant. His kingdom will grow gradually over time as it has. One Old Testament scholar says his kingdom will increase and occupy progressively all space until he rules over all. Flip back at Isaiah chapter 2, the vision. 
given to us. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 25. Speaking of Jesus, he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Excuse me. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. This Christ child that we celebrate grew up. He died. He defeated death. He was raised. He ascended. He was enthroned. And this verse says, now he must reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. And he will remain there till he does that. And then he will defeat the last enemy. And the last enemy is death itself. What's our role? Our role is to serve this king. And our role is to expand his rule. How do we do that? By sharing the gospel. How does this king subdue his enemies? By offering terms of peace through the cross. And he offers those terms of peace through us. Won't happen without us. And notice his rule there back in Isaiah chapter 9. It'll never end. Look again at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This child would grow up and he would occupy the throne of David. Again, we've talked about Abraham. Now the promise is to David that he would have a son who would have a kingdom that would never end. Second Samuel 7. Listen to Luke chapter 1 verse 31. Good Christmas passage. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the Son of David. He is the King of kings. The King to end all kings. The final King. The Son of Man who will outlast all other kingdoms. And how do we know this is going to happen? He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. God is zealous about this. He is passionately involved with his people. He is no disinterested deity. The God who promises will be the one who gets it done. One cannot ask for greater assurance than this. Christmas is about God entering the world as a baby. Born to rule forever and ever. May we be a worshiping people filled with rock-solid hope and indestructible joy. Let's pray in his name. Father, thank you for your promises. We are so privileged to be here on this side of so much of your story, history, so that we can look back and see that you've made promise after promise and you've kept your promises. And so we can take your promises to us, to the bank. And I pray that these promises wouldn't be normal, but would fuel worship in a fresh way. Not just this morning, but as we go from here. May these promises fuel 
our service to the King, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And may these promises fuel mission as we see that he is on the throne and he is ruling and reigning and his government will increase and we get to be a part as we share the gospel, share Christ and you expand his rule until he defeats his very last enemy and then he defeats the final enemy, death itself. Thank you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.